I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of democracy. May the turbulence of our age yield to the true time of peace, when men and nations shall share a life that honors the dignity of each, the brotherhood of all. I see a world of open borders, open trade, and most importantly, open mind. mind. Hello, this is To the Republic with Jake and Jeff, a show dedicated to exploring civics, history, and U.S. institutions. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. On this episode, we wanted to look at the separations of powers and uh, checks and balances. Within the U.S. government. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> clarification. Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought that we this would be a good topic for us to explore. Yeah, definitely. I know Schoolhouse Rock has uh, done a great episode on this, but I think we can do we can expand on it. Yeah, at least. there you go. Yeah, and if and if we don't if we're missing some holes, just go back and watch the classic clips of Schoolhouse Rock. Yep. Um, this was an interesting topic for me because um, I think that this is something that. As far as checks and balances that kind of get lost in 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 politics in general, mm-hmm. um, I think when I you know I, like I've said this before, um, I don't know if on this show but on our podcast at least that I there's a lot I didn't understand about government until I took a poli sci one hundred one class, and I think that this is the the intricacies of checks and balances is one of those things that I didn't understand how much each branch really kind of made sure everyone stayed in line. If Definitely. You will. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that the each are supposed to be equal. And I think yes. we get so focused on the president being, mm-hmm. because he's the face, right? He's this almost the, the executive branch works as almost the CEO yes. of the United States in a lot of ways, because he's a singular person right. and he's running for president. We directly elect the president. Mm-hmm. We have a tendency, I think in our, in our collective psyche to kind of put him a, the executive, yes. the chief executive, especially above other branches of government. And that's not the way that the framers of the constitution intended yes. that to happen. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about how that has been an ebb and flow in terms of what branch has been, um, had preeminence over others throughout yes. time. Like there was a you know a period in the early 19th century where early 20th century, sorry, where the, the legislative was seen by the, by the masses as the more preeminent branch. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, um, and we can, we are going to, I think we'll, we'll touch and touch on that a little mm-hmm. bit, but, um, I think it's just good to have a conversation about this. Yeah, definitely. It, it can, it can only be helpful. Um, and, and I think looking at, you know, we on a very service level, we I think people have, at least I did, have a have an understanding which each branch, what each branch does. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully we can explore a little deeper than that and kind of look at look at how and when those branches really step up and do the things that they're supposed to and designed to do. Um, while also kind of checking each other. Yeah. And I think to, just to add to that, it's a great point is that. Um, when when you hear people talking about executive overreaches, mm-hmm. like where is it in the Constitution that constitutes that as an executive overreach? Right, right. Or like when is the Congress acting outside of their parameters? Mm-hmm. And I think identifying those institutionalized checks and balances that are within the framing of our government will help us understand when a particular branch is overstepping its role. And I think it's important to, to know that. Yeah, to be absolutely. Able to, and be able to identify that. Yeah, because as much as each branch checks each other one thing that you and i constantly talk about is the population the people mm-hmm. are a check on the people that we elect yes and if they are overreaching if they are going outside of those parameters it's voters and the population's responsibility to check those overreaches for sure in in like the Washington Post says, like their slogan is democracy dies in darkness and that that's catching everything but really it's democracy dies in indifference. Mm-hmm. And to further your point about how we as we the people, we are the we are the ultimate check. Yeah. We're the watchers of the watchers. Yeah. We can't be indifferent. Right. Because these checks and balances mean nothing unless we're holding those branches accountable. Absolutely. So I think it's important now to just kind of generally define these branches, um, who they consist of, and um, I think then for the rest of the show we're gonna get into checks and balances what exactly each branch does and we'll go from there so the definition that we kind of came up with for the executive branch yeah. is that it's basically it's the it's the chief executive of 
the nation. The president is the chief executive officer. Right. And below him is the vice president. And then you have the cabinet. Um, and then about five million other federal employees. Right. So kind of define or expand on the cabinet. So the, the cabinet is the heads of the federal bureaucracies. Right. It's the way that the president institutes his um, his vision for law enforcement mm-hmm. um, or enforcement of different laws and um, the way that money is going to be uh, the way the money is going to be kind of used that is appropriated by the Senate. So the fed, so an example of a federal bureaucracy is like the um, the Department of Agriculture right. or the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a head mm-hmm. and the head of that department is part of the president's cabinet. Right. So when he calls a cabinet meeting, the heads of, of the of the various bureaucracies mm-hmm. get together and they they come to they at the direction of the president right. then institute the way that the president institute the president's vision for each of those departments right so what you said there i think is interesting um and i think it's a significant point of each branch of the house each branch of the executive yeah <laughs> no each branch of the government sorry. okay um but what i'm going to say what i was going to say is that the executive they're all it, a lot of this relates to legislation and laws mm-hmm. so one primary part of the executive is is very broadly defined as it carries out the laws so the cabinet is responsible for making sure that those laws are carried out as well as the president and vice mm-hmm. president yeah for yeah for example like immigration right so the president the um, the president will have uh, we'll use the Department of Homeland Security mm-hmm. to um, institute immigration policy. Yes, that's the enforcement arm of the executive branch. Perfect. And it's and as we'll get into checks and balances later, that the the money for that department is mm-hmm. appropriated by the legislative branch. Right. Right. So the legislative branch, just moving on from the executive, yeah. was established by Article One of the Constitution. I guess we should probably, probably should have mentioned that Article Two sets up the executive yeah. branch. Yeah. Anyway, so. Right off of the WhitehouseGov's website, I'll just read what their definition is of the Perfect. legislative branch. Yeah, um, it consists of the House of Representatives and the Senate, which together form the United States Congress. The Constitution grants Congress the sole authority to enact legislative legislation and declare war. Mm-hmm. The right to confirm or reject many presidential appointments to the cabinet, like we were talking about, right, right, um, and substantial investigative powers. So basically, what this what this means is that there's 535 congressmen. There's mm-hmm. 435 members of the House yep. representatives and 100 senators. Right. And what I was going to say is again relating to laws. Their broadly, their job is to make the laws. Correct. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and and then appropriate the money. Yes. To the executive yes. to then be carried out by those laws. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's very defined division of labor between mm-hmm. what is the legislative's job yes. and what is the executive's yes. job. And finally, the judicial branch. Set up by Article 3 oh, okay. of, the, of the U.S. Constitution. Um, yeah, the judicial branch basically interprets, its sole purpose is to interpret the laws passed by Congress mm-hmm. to determine if they're within the conf- with if, if the law is within the confines of established laws already and is constitutional. Perfect. Um, so this, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but this is the branch of government that I've oddly been super into yeah, <laughs> lately. Yeah, no, you've been all about it. Um, doing a bunch of reading, doing a bunch of research. Um, I think we should say, you know, this is the this is the Supreme Court. It's the highest court in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll get into more definitive roles and exactly what they do as far as checks and balances. But, you know, this is... Um, you know, you had mentioned earlier that it's often considered the weakest branch of the government. I think it's portrayed that way. Oh, okay. Because it it's yeah, there's so little because we're 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 talking about checks and balances eventually yeah. in, the, in this uh um in this episode. And it has the the least amount of checks on other branches mm-hmm. and the ha- and therefore also has the least amount of checks on itself. Right. And it and because it's so dependent upon other branches of government in order to do its function, mm-hmm. it is gen- I think it's generally kind of considered the weakest of the right. the least powerful of the three in right. a way. I was wondering if if you thought that maybe public perception or maybe public knowledge of this branch in particular also kind of played into the perception of it maybe not being as strong as the others yeah i think it's definitely public perception until one of those seats comes up for grabs oh and then that's all anybody wants to talk about um but i mean just for like 
to kind of expand on what I was talking about mm-hmm. is that the all of the seat members, all of the members of the Supreme Court, every yeah. seat is confirmed by the legis by the legislature mm-hmm. and appointed by the president. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they don't. But then they interpret the laws that are made by the Senate. So mm-hmm. other than just interpretation, mm-hmm. there really isn't much that the Supreme Court has in terms of influencing any really influencing right. much directly. Okay. Right. And, yeah. And if if that's the right way to say yeah, it. Yeah, I think it is. Um. So I I think that's kind of I think why it gets. Um, ignored and historically okay. like not ignored but kind of devalued i yeah. guess in the, in the american yeah. perception um i mean john marshall's decision to uphold the treaty that the united states had with the cherokee nation mm-hmm. that was just ignored by president andrew jackson yeah and there was nothing that the judiciary could do about that right right whereas the legislative branch could be like well if you're going to ignore you know if, if you're going to ignore a law that we made mm-hmm. Mr. Executive, yes, we're going to stop appropriating, stop oh, funding certain gotcha. branches. We can, gotcha. they have a little bit more that they can lean on mm-hmm. to try to curb the actions of the other branch mm-hmm. more so than the judiciary does. Right. I guess when I say that it's weaker, I think that's what I kind of imply. Okay, okay, yeah. One aspect of it that I think is, you know, at least I'm just going off my own understanding. So, at, at, for the long time, this for a long time, this was the least known part of this judicial branch was that you know there there is a long system of courts that any case go through before they they reach the supreme court Mm -hmm. so and this is something i've learned from like documentaries such as like making a murderer where you see these these cases go through the court system whether it's you know through the state and then finally up higher to all of these different court systems and i think that you know we're going to focus obviously on the supreme court but i think that that's important to note that it just doesn't go immediately to the supreme court there is a whole system in place for others to interpret the laws and the constitution Mm -hmm. before it gets to the supreme court to make that ultimate definitive decision if the other courts can't come to an agreement definitely and that judicial process is important absolutely because in many instances and actually probably in all instances the, the the Supreme Court justices rely on the lower court's decisions yes. to influence how they're going to view this case. Yes. Because it gives them more um it gives them more perspective than what nine jurors would maybe have individually. Great. So point. so so seeing what a lower court's decision was on this case, yeah. they could be like, Oh, we hadn't thought about it like that. Mm. Here's you know, there is an angle we hadn't thought of. Perfect. And it just adds more perspective and more plurality to the process. Absolutely. So when you have like the the, the current administration mm-hmm. asking the asking the uh, Supreme Court mm-hmm. to hear a case on um, on an executive action, mm-hmm. which was the immigration um, right. immigration ban from certain countries. Mm-hmm. And then it was struck down by a circuit court, mm-hmm. the Ninth Circuit Court. And the president asked that the, the Supreme Court look at it directly and mm-hmm. not having it go through that lower court process. Right. That's not necessarily unconstitutional, but mm-hmm. it definitely is um, outside the norm mm-hmm. of how the judiciary normally works. Right. And... We you can you, we can have a debate about that, and I'm not yes. trying to make a political statement, right? But I think it is important that we understand that this is a very that is a very long process, absolutely, and it's that and it's that it has that long, elongated process mm-hmm. for a purpose. Yes, I think that's an excellent point. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll be looking at each branch more individually and more specifically, as we've said maybe a million times, <laughs> the checks and balances of each branch on each other and why those are important. I'm Jeff, and I'm Jake. And you've been listening to To The Republic. KXRW Community Radio wants to thank our friends and sponsors at Boomerang Therapy Works, where exercise is medicine. At Boomerang, they offer a variety of one-on-one treatment options that can be tailored to your health and wellness. They offer physical therapy, massage therapy, personal trainers, exercise programs, group classes, and specialize in customized Parkinson's treatments. Located in downtown Vancouver, more info available at boomerangtherapyworks.com, where exercise is medicine. 
Community Radio Like This is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics. Clark County's local print shop since 1993, ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. Welcome back to To The Republic. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. In the last segment, we looked broadly at the three branches of government and generally defined what the legislative, judicial, and executive branches are, who they consist of, and what they do. So in this segment, we'll explore why we have three branches of government with defined roles and responsibilities, why it's important that the separation of governmental powers exist, and what that means for our government. So we're going to first look at where the theory of separation powers comes from yeah i think that's important and in much like um the stuff we talked about on on um you know elections it's very much Mm -hmm. influenced by enlightenment thinking Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. our our our, the framers were very much a product of the time that they you know they lived in and it was in the middle of the enlightenment period in in europe and um so a lot of that kind of philosophy on governance and the role of government you know, highly influenced how our framers envisioned and then constructed our our government through the Constitution. So um, the separation of powers kind of as a theory or a philosophy was first coined by Charles Louis de Sacodet, who was an 18th century French uh, social and political philosopher. Uh, His publication, Spirit of the Laws, is considered one of the great works in the history of political theory and jurisprudence. Mm -hmm. And it inspired the Declaration of the Rights of Man in the U.S. Constitution. Mm. Um, under his model, the political authority of the state is divided into legislative, executive, and judicial powers, as we see. Right. His assert- he asserted that to most effectively promote liberty, these three powers must be separate and acting independently. Right. Separation of powers, therefore, refers to the division of government responsibilities into distinct branches to limit any one branch from exercising the core functions of the other. The intent is to prevent the concentration of power and provide for checks and balances. Right, right. So that gets into what you were saying earlier about the division of labor. Yes. Each has a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Each has a job to do. And this this is kind of, like you said, the framework to then, with the Constitution, we see the def- the definition of each job and each role. Yes. Of each branch. Definitely. And it keeps, you know, the, the checks and balances is to, as, you know, as we are finding, is to keep any one branch from becoming too powerful. Right. And, and that, that concentration of power was very much in the, in the forefront of the debates happening in the construction of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. The Constitutional Convention, they did not want another tyrannical executive. Right. And they didn't want to run, a, run away legislative right. branch like the Articles of Confederation, was a very weak executive with an overly strong executive branch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, overly strong legislative branch. Right. And it was hard to get anything done because there was no enforcer of the of uh, federal law. Right. So having an equal executive and an equal legislative keeps a tyrannical you know, head of state, like a king, from arising. But it also um, has a way of enforce, but still has the the forcing capabilities of the exec of a of an of the executive branch, but with the check on the of, of the of a strong legisl of an equally strong legislature. Right. I was just thinking, right there. Um, this was kind of an intentional way, and you 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 alluded to it, but I think it, it should be repeated that it was an intentional way to avoid the concentration of power, in at that time more specifically, like a monarchy. Yes. You know, there was very much throughout Europe uh, a, um, a very anti-monarchical um, push yeah. within governments. And the United States was the first government to be, you know, conceived in liberty. Right. We constantly hear that as kind of a, almost like a cliche, mm-hmm. but it really was. We were the first real democratically, um, you know, set up government. Right. So from the beginning, from the beginning, yeah. Where and very much so, our our revolution and our the framework for our government influenced the French Revolution, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, and then also created reforms within England right. too. So, um, with the House of Lords, the landed gentry mm-hmm. becoming far less powerful, and um, the House of Commons, the elected branch, mm-hmm. becoming much much more, um, 
you know much more powerful right. and then the monarch right. who is you know the head of state mm-hmm. having essentially other than being a figurehead has mm-hmm. having very little power right so really the united states took a lot of this enlightenment philosophy and made it into practice right and it was an experiment mm-hmm. and this is kind of how it manifested i think it's interesting how it's kind of the circle of influence you have the influence coming from europe I mean, obviously, there were philosophers in the United States Mm -hmm. as well, but they were all kind of playing off of each other. And then once you see someone kind of putting those philosophies into practice, that influences others, you know, just just at that time to think globally, how small globally might have been at that time, Mm -hmm. influencing one another to then change the way that their government is constructed oh definitely i think that's interesting yeah it, it, it's and it's fascinating because right. you know the the spread of the of the printing the, the establishment of the printing press right. and getting more information out to people and the mm-hmm. spreading of ideas right the american revolution probably doesn't happen without the printing press right um and and but then also you know you know socialites and taverns mm-hmm. spreading mm-hmm. um spreading those that those ideas right and that was very much the case in um in, in French salons, mm-hmm. as it was in, a, in the American frontier taverns, right. and spreading these ideas of liberty and um, the rights of man and the social contract, these very um, philo- philosophical ideas, right. but then were codified institutionally yes. into our into our constitution as a way to constantly check advances on power and right. expanding the power of one branch and constantly trying to protect that those basic core theories and philosophy about mm-hmm. the roles of role of governance and the individual within that system right the more information you have about those ideals being spread amongst the people natural i think naturally you have to like you said institute that into a government if you're going to have a revolution and start a new government and now you have the spread of this information like you said through through um, print mm-hmm. and you just create this ideal amongst the people you have to construct those ideals and ideas and philosophies into to reflect the ideas of the time definitely which has generally I think benefited until today yeah I mean it this is a lasting legacy right and we're gonna you know now we're going to dissect you know how that played out yeah within government okay so let's let's take a look at article one the legislator. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so the Senate, as you had mentioned, is made up of 100 total senators, um, two from each state. Uh, Senate term is six years, and there's no limit to the number of terms that an individual can serve. Um, for the House of Representatives, there are 435 elected representatives, which are divided among the 50 states in proportion to their total population. Mm-hmm. Um, a representative serves a two-year term, and there's no limit to the number of terms an individual can serve. Yeah, and as we talked about in our voting yeah. um, uh, voting episode that we put out last month, mm-hmm. that equal representation versus proportional representation mm-hmm. is very much a check on having a bicameral legislature, I should start preface that having a bicameral legislature, mm-hmm. having two chambers mm-hmm. um, that are equal within themselves, even though I think sometimes senators get a little too, um, they feel a little too important about themselves and mm-hmm. they, they think that they're the more, um, just in the rhetoric, you can kind of hear senators yeah. saying that they're the more, uh, they're the more prominent branch because right. there's less of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a hundred of them. Right. I don't know. But uh, having that bicameral legislature is very much is very much a check on the very broad powers mm-hmm. of the legislature, right? Um, so that bills aren't you know because a bill has to be passed by both chambers. Mm-hmm. So having that check with, almost within the within the legislative mm-hmm. is very I think important to just kind of note. Yeah, one thing I was thinking about as far as the legislative and this again reflects on our last episode on voting, um, how important it is for U.S. citizens to participate in voting because when we as we're going to go down these checks on the different branches that the legislator branch legislative branch has, you can kind of see how, why it's important for citizens to select these representatives. Mm-hmm. Because if we're choosing the legislative branch individuals to then check these other branches, we want that to reflect our ideals and our opinions, but also operate within these means of the Constitution. Yeah. So let's start. Go- I, let's start going down these uh, 
checks um, that we have listed here, um, and we'll start with the checks on the executive branch by the legislative branch. Okay. So, um, impeachment power, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. And, um, and it's important that uh, impeachment power, so in, impeachment process mm-hmm. starts in the House. Yes. So, the House will file in the impeachment We'll start the impeachment process mm-hmm. by filing impeachment papers against the, the executive or the judiciary. We'll mm-hmm. get into that. Yeah. Um, and but but the Senate holds the hearings. Right. So it starts, you know, with the 435 elected representatives, which I think is yeah, interesting. choosing to bring about impeachment. Yes. And once that process is started in the House mm-hmm. and has been passed through the House, it goes to the Senate to then hold the hearings and decide whether the president should be impeached or not. Right. Um. The legislative branch is the check is selection of the president, House, and vice president, Senate, in the case of no majority or of electoral votes. Mm-hmm. So the House is selecting the president. If 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 one um, if so, this isn't going to this isn't as much of a problem now right. because there is really only two people running for president. Oh, okay. but in the, like, so famously in the, um, in the 18, uh, the election of 1800 mm-hmm. between Jefferson and Adams mm-hmm. and there, ni- Jefferson didn't get the, didn't get the majority of electoral votes. Right. Um, so in the electoral college, you have you have to get the majority yeah. of, of the 538 electoral votes mm-hmm. now. Now, but then there was less electoral yes. <laughs> votes. There's less states. But the uh, so it was interesting that the he, John Thomas Jefferson at the time was the vice president mm-hmm. running against the incumbent president John mm-hmm. Adams. Oh wow! So it's interesting that like think about it now like yeah. Pence running against President you know, Trump. President Trump in 2020 yeah. like wow. that would almost be unheard of. Yeah. So what ended up happening was that Thomas Jefferson, neither Jefferson nor Adams mm-hmm. got the majority of the electoral college. Oh, wow. So what ended up happening was is that they had to it went to the Congress mm. to then decide who was going to be president. Interesting. And um at the time uh, uh Alexander Hamilton mm-hmm. um cast the well he threw his he was a federalist and threw his support behind Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. who is a anti-federalist, mm. and whereas John and John Adams is the federalist right. here, and so that threw that threw a huge wrench into uh-huh. it because the, the the federalists were hoping that Hamilton, who was um, a very influential figure, right. was going to um, was going to side with the federalists, but he didn't. He sided with Jefferson, mm. who ultimately won the election because Hamilton's support swayed enough of Congress members mm. of Congress to then vote for Jefferson to become elected president, right. That's interesting. That's a interesting check that was in that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I think is important is uh, they're all important in their own way. I think, <laughs> um, but they may override presidential vetoes. Yes, um, and, and it I, has to be done with three fourths of the Congress. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Next, we have the Senate approves cabinet appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senate approves treaties and ambassadors. Yep. Approval of replacement vice president. Which I think is interesting. So, yeah, I didn't know if I really knew knew that was a power yeah. of the Senate hmm. or the Congress, just in general, the legislature in general. Interesting. Okay, so um, next we have the power to declare war, mm-hmm. the power to enact taxes and allocate funds, which we've discussed. Yep. Um, and the president, from time to time, must deliver a State of the Union address, which now is. I, I it's customary that every year right. the president delivers a state of the union address. Mm-hmm. It's uh, interesting about the powers you know, the the to declare war cuz I think yeah. there's so much war now especially in in our time mm-hmm. is so um different than it, w- it was at, at pretty much any time throughout our history, yeah, right? You know, engagements are happening in countries all over the world and are done with in in as quick as, you know, a couple hours or right. not lasting any more than like a week or we have prolonged um, engagements like in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and Iraq, um, even technology. Yeah, just with, the advancement with, of technology and and not putting boots on mm-hmm. the ground changes war. Yeah. So this this power to declare war mm-hmm. is interesting. It's interesting because at what point does can the Senate rise up and say no? Yeah. President, Mr. President, we as the we as the Congress have the sole power to declare war. What you're doing is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in, in what way can the Senate? try to limit the president's ability to unilaterally right. put troops 
on the ground in mm-hmm. foreign countries. And I, an attempt to do that was the War Powers Resolution mm-hmm. and that was passed in 1973, which tried to limit the president's power to act in unilaterally. Yeah. And what, what that does is that, that when that law was passed, it, it forces the president that he has to get congressional approval mm-hmm. to uh, continue to have engagements in foreign countries. Mm-hmm. Out on if it lasts if the engagement lasts longer than sixty days, right? Okay. So if the engagement is lasting longer than sixty days, mm-hmm. the, pr- the president then has to go to Congress for approval to continue to get funds. Right. And in the way the pr- the Senate can or the the legislation legislative branch can limit that is by not appropriating funds, right, right, to right. the military, mm-hmm. which then that gets into a whole quagmire on in in terms of how the. Um, well, you're you're cutting off funding to the to the military, so right. I mean that that can that gets into a whole political game. But mm-hmm. in theory, that's how the war pres- war powers resolution was an attempted check on the expanded powers of the president to act unilaterally, especially in you know, 1973. Mm-hmm. Look at the context; that's near the end of Vietnam, right? And in most in a lot of that action, especially in in Cambodia and Laos and mm-hmm. bordering countries, mm-hmm. technically needed. You know, congressional approval, but was never the Congress was never right. Um, you know, brought into that decision making right. process. I think it's interesting. So, just as part of their job, the legislator checks the executive, and when there's overreach, they have the ability to then create a law that goes through the system to then be passed to then define a, a, a check that has been overreached mm-hmm. on on a specific case. I think that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what about checks on the judiciary? So we have them. I'll just read them out here. Okay. Uh, So checks on the judiciary from the legislative branch. Yeah. Um, The Senate approves federal judges. Mm -hmm. So it goes through a confirmation process, much like um, other uh, executive cabinet Mm -hmm. positions. Um, The the impeachment power Mm -hmm. um, of starts in the house and right. is and then the trial within the senate much yes. like the impeachment of a president can also i don't know if many people know this mm-hmm. i didn't until mm-hmm. really researching this mm-hmm. that uh, uh that a supreme court justice or any federal judge mm-hmm. can that it's appointed by the senate can also be impeached by the senate so I, we mm-hmm. we think of supreme court justices having lifetime appointments right Unless they're impeached, right, and they can be impeached just like a president can for doing you know illegal acts, right. Um, the power to initiate constitutional amendments, mm-hmm. um, power to set courts inferior to the Supreme Court. So it, it's important to to note that the Article Three sets up the Supreme Court as a as a co-equal branch, right. But all of the federal courts can be created or disbanded by the legislature as seen fit. Oh, wow. So all of those of the lower federal courts yeah. are all created and appropriated mm-hmm. by the legislature. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And then um, power to uh, set jurisdiction of courts. Mm-hmm. So when you see the circuit courts, right. that those boundaries and where the jurisdiction lands, that's set up by, uh, by the legislature. Mm-hmm. And power to alter the size of the Supreme Court. Interesting. Okay. So the kind of the history of that is yeah. so in 1801 the the Senate or the legislature mm-hmm. set the Supreme Court seats at 5 expanded them to 7 in 1807 mm-hmm. expanded them to 9 in 1837 and then to 10 in 1863 Oh So it's interesting so that they've actually reduced the seats yeah. so I I did a little bit of research on that and it turns out Andrew Johnson who was on the verge of being impeached mm-hmm. there was a bunch of seats that were that were made open because of that 1863 amendment mm-hmm. so and in 1866 the uh, Congress passed the Judicial Circuits Act mm-hmm. and it reduced it from 10 to 7 so an, an impeached potentially lame duck president mm-hmm. couldn't just flood the court with a bunch of oh, a bunch of his own appointees, right? So uh, the Judiciary Act of 1869, after Johnson's mm-hmm. um, after Johnson's uh, administration was over, right, um, restored it to nine, and it stayed that way ever since. Yeah, it's interesting that it even made it to ten because it. I mean, maybe just because we're used to it in our lifetime, but it makes sense to have an odd number. Mm-hmm. So you so, have decisions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't constantly get a five-five split uh, and then no decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it it, def- it definitely is interesting. Um, I thought it was. I thought it just in in another way mm-hmm. it shows how the judiciary almost becomes a battle between the legislative legislative branch mm-hmm. and the executive branch, right? Because of 
you know, about how many, uh, because the president appoints a judiciary. Yeah. We'll get into that. I mean, uh, the seats to the Supreme Court. Yeah. But the, it's the Congress that can change how many seats are on that court. Right. So they, it's constantly playing the games like, well, we don't, you know, we don't want this. Pre- we're, we're afraid that this president's going to have too many appointees right. or, or whatever. So they can change, they can go in and then change. So it's just it, within that, I mean, there's, there's a whole nother just yeah. checks and balances oh, stuff yeah. that, that we just don't even think about right. on a daily basis. Right. Okay. So the next segment for this uh, legislator check, I think is interesting because it's also, you know, you see this also with the executive branch, which, mm-hmm. which we'll get to, but it's a check on itself. Yes. Because it is bicameral, the legislative branch has a degree of self-checking. Um, so we have the bills must be passed by both houses of the Congress. Yes, yeah. So it starts in a subcommittee and then goes right. to a committee. And then if the committee you know, determines, okay, that we're going to move this bill to the mm-hmm. House floor, um, and then the the different uh, head the different uh, heads of committee will then go to like the house majority leader and then they'll put it on the calendar for right. when it's going to be voted on and heard on the, the arguments will be heard on the floor for against the bill mm-hmm. um, and then that goes to the senate and then to the and then to the president eventually to the president's right. desk um, the house must originate revenue bills mm-hmm. so tax bills and uh, neither house may adjourn for more than three days without the consent of the other house. I thought that was interesting. It is pretty interesting, yeah, yeah. especially since um, we have a government shutdown and both houses of the Congress are right. are, are out of Washington D.C. Right, but it's interesting that if one wanted to, you you kind of have to like get permission from the other or vice versa. Yeah, I just think that's interesting. It is. Um, and then I really like this last point. Um, this last check. Um, on itself. But it's also just, I think it, it could be considered a check by the people, mm-hmm. but all journals are to be published. So public record, <clears throat> everything that's done within the legislator, not everything, obviously, but, you know. Yeah, everything that's not top secret. Clearance. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I appreciate that that public record aspect of um, being able to, to, especially as historians, mm-hmm. you know, if we if we want to look further into something, we have those public records and that accessibility to kind of look further into what our government is doing. Yeah. Which I think is important. It is. All right. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And in the next segment, we're going to explore the executive and judiciary branches and their um, checks and balances with the rest of the branches of government. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. And you've been listening to To The Republic. Thank you to CBD American Shaman for supporting our radio community. CBD American Shaman are dedicated to bringing wellness through ultra-concentrated, terpene-rich CBD. The oil is derived from all-natural, 100% organic, gluten-free, non-GMO, 0% THC industrial hemp. CBD American Shaman is located in Vancouver at 2700 Northeast Andreessen Road, Suite A5. For more information, call 866-GOT-PAIN. That's 866-GOT-PAIN. Hey, this is Jake, co-host of To The Republic on KXRW. I just wanted to say thanks to Just-In-Time Electrical for supporting our radio community. The professional electricians of Just-In-Time Electrical have the skills, training, and experience to complete your electrical project. Just-In-Time Electrical offers residential and commercial services, which include installations, upgrades, repairs, rewiring, and maintenance. More information available at myjustintimejob.com. That's myjustintimejob.com. Dot com or at 360-836-5806. Welcome back to To the Republic. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. In the last segment, we looked at the legislative branch and the checks that it has on the other branches of government. For the rest of the show, we're going to look at the executive and judicial branches of the U.S. government. So let's start with the executive branch yep set up by article two of the constant of the constitution um the executive has checks on both the legislature and the judiciary branches mm-hmm. um we'll start with the checks on the legislature i think um probably first and foremost mm-hmm. the president has veto power over right. any bill passed by this by the legislature mm-hmm. so when when the the a bill goes through the legislative process where mm-hmm. it starts in the, in in the in the legislature starts in a subcommittee and then by vote goes to a, the the larger committee and then goes to 
the House floor for a vote and then pass on to the Senate and then pass through the Senate and then goes to the president's desk to be signed. Right. Um, the president can then either sign it into law or he can veto it. Mm-hmm. As we talked in the last segment, mm-hmm. that the legislature can then, with the three-fourths majority, right. overrule a presidential right. veto. Generally, they don't like to do that because politics is a game of give and take. Right. And if you show up the president like that, that usually means the president's going to be looking to, you know, get the legislator back. So that yeah, that can <laughs> that can that can create some tension between the the you know between the Capitol Hill mm-hmm. and then the White House. So there's generally um, a lot of try to you know give and take between the president and, right. and whatever party or parties are in power mm-hmm. in, in both chambers. Um, the vice president is the president of the Senate. Mm-hmm. So that's important because in the in the Senate you have a you have a hundred person Senate. Right. And the vice president can then vote if there's a deadlock. So if it's if it's a fifty fifty split, yeah. um, the vice president then is a deciding vote. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the uh, the chief executive mm-hmm. is the commander in chief of the military. Right. So the legislature leg- the legislature um, the Congress can declare war, but the president is the commander in chief of the military. Right. So he he decides how the war is going to be implemented, but it's the um, it's the legislature's choice if we go to war or not. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, recess appointments. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that you have if if um, the, if Congress is on recess and mm-hmm. they can't go through the in like a for whatever reason, um, a cabinet appointment, cabinet appointee steps down mm-hmm. um, or is fired, and there's no legis- there, the legislature's not in 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 session mm-hmm. to confirm a new uh, a new cabinet member. Mm-hmm. The president can appoint a temporary head of that particular bureaucracy mm-hmm. until Congress comes back in session. Interesting, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like right now with like uh, with uh, with Whitaker. At the head of the, um, as, as, um, or he's a recess appointment mm-hmm. of the attorney general. Oh, because, right, right. Um, Sessions was, was let go mm-hmm. or stepped down or however that ended up happening. Yeah. Um, so right now, Whitaker is acting attorney general on a recess appointment right. until the Senate is able to confirm a new attorney general. Right. But the president would then have to nominate, officially nominate, nominate a new one, and, and then, then go that goes through the, confirmation. the confirmation process. Gotcha. Yep. Um, can emergency call emergency calling into session of both one or both houses of Congress? Yeah. So in the case of an emergency, if the president needs um, quick congressional action mm-hmm. on something, he can call Congress at a moment's notice back into session yeah. to vote on a key piece of legislation, like mm-hmm. maybe like an act of going to war or right. a state of emergency or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, May 1st, force adjournment with both houses cannot agree on adjournment. Okay, what's that? So, it basically what it does, it gives the president the, the ability to force Congress into recess. Okay. Um, why he might do that would be if the president's party doesn't control the Senate and he's mm-hmm. having difficulty getting an appointment through. Right. And he has his recess powers. Mm-hmm. And if Congress is in recess, he can then appoint a um a particular person to that you know cabinet position mm-hmm, mm-hmm. temporarily and then once congress i mean obviously that's going to be only be a temporary solution right, right but if something needs if the president feels like something needs to get done in an ex you know in a quick way right that might be the reason why mm. that um that's the only thing I can really think of. Right. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Um may force uh so anyway, compensation cannot be Diminished. Diminished. So that's pay. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And that's also something when we get to that applies to the judicial branch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So next are the checks on the judiciary. Um, and so the executive branch has the power to appoint judges. Yes. Um, and we've seen that twice in this administration. Mm-hmm. Um, so they pick who they think is best fit that Supreme Court, and mm-hmm. then that is then gone through the process of being approved by the Senate and the House. Uh, just the Senate. Just the Senate. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and pardon power on the judiciary. That's interesting. Yeah. So he can. I mean, generally, the president has pardon power for any federal crime. Right. So he can choose to pardon if if it looks like the 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 legislature is going to bring a p- impeachment process against a particular supreme court justice that's interesting 
the the president could you know could pardon right that that justice mm. wow um so as mentioned in the last section this like the legislative branch the executive branch has a self-check yes um so the vice president and the cabinet can vote that the president is unable to discharge his duties mm-hmm. and i guess that means he's just unfit they see he's unfit yeah the, and it's so there's been um it can either be mentally unfit mm-hmm. but that's really hard to to judge um right but Especially really by those two those two, those two beings, the vice president and the cabinet. Yeah, I mean, at, at what, what's the, you know, what's the threshold? What right. is the barometer? So, I mean, that gets that would get really messy, and you right. almost don't even want to tread on those waters mm-hmm. because, um, what, what kind of precedent does exactly. that set? Yeah. going forward, that almost puts a little too much mm-hmm. power within the vice president and the cabinet. A little overreach. A little bit of over yeah. possible <laughs> overreach. Um, but really, what it is is if a president is, you know, is is hurt or mm-hmm. is sick and can't mm-hmm. perform his duties. Like yeah. you see that with, with um, there was potential with Ronald Reagan when, mm-hmm. you know, there was a, a assassination attempt on him. Right. Or in the case of uh, president James Garfield, mm-hmm. who was shot and it, and then it took 79 days for him to pass. <laughs> right. right. He wasn't fit to hold right. office at that point. Like the, the cabinet and the VP could step in mm-hmm. and um, assume the roles of the executive. Right. Perfect. So that was a check on, Itself, making sure the government is still operating without the chief executive. Without the CEO, (laughs) yeah. All right, what's next, Jake? Article 3. Article 3, the judiciary. And we're going to look at the checks of the judiciary. Very limited, but... Important, nonetheless. Very important. So, the checks on the legislator are judicial review. Yes. And what that means is that when laws are passed by the Congress... And then if they're challenged by an individual or entity and they sue the federal government as a challenge to this law, it goes through the court process, goes to the Supreme and then can eventually reach the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court rules whether through a review process, whether this particular law is constitutional. Right. You and I were talking earlier about how just how interesting it is that this this constitution this document has now framed the way that even today that these laws are are approved or Mm -hmm. disapproved yeah and you know so if you have the legislator or the executive branch and they're operating outside of their their roles or overreach that you have in place the system to check them you have the judicial review to use the constitution to guide whether or not they are operating or acting within their means yes yeah that's well put and i think that's important i think that that is you know we did say that this judicial review is the most significant thing because it does that is a check on both the executive and legislative branch mm-hmm. and, and it can review same, yeah it yeah. can review both branches um on their actions you know right. if, for example if the executive branch were to use a um an executive action that is out that the that the the Supreme Court views as outside of the powers of the president. Right. They could rule that executive order unconstitutional. Right. Vice versa. You know, same thing with the uh, legislative branch. Yes. You know, we, we we see that all the time. Um, judicial, you know, judicial review. Mm-hmm. There was um, famously with the um, with Obamacare. Right. You had not that they found it unconstitutional. It's fact that they did find it unco- found it constitutional. Mm-hmm. There was uh, a lawsuit brought against the federal government saying that uh, the federal government doesn't have the ability to pass a law mm-hmm. um, forcing people to buy health care insurance. Right. And the Chief Justice, Chief Justice Roberts mm-hmm. said that they the Congress does based on their power to tax. Exactly. So it, it's that kind of review process that ultimately, you know, is the final say right. for this elongated process right. that starts in a subcommittee in the House of Representatives, right. goes to the executive branch, is signed into law, mm-hmm. and then is goes to the judiciary for review. Right. And I'm now I'm just thinking this just popped in my head, but these laws govern the land, yes. so it's important that there is a systematic process that it goes through, mm-hmm. and if somebody. Or there's a potential for overreach. It is checked at this kind of high Supreme Court. Yes. All right. So the next one, 
um, you and I kind of had a discussion a little bit about this, but I think it's really interesting is that um, a check on the legislator is that seats are held on good behavior. Mm-hmm. And we, it took us a little bit of research to figure it out did. what it meant by good behavior. Mm-hmm. So what we found was that there really wasn't a definition. I mean, there's a process to determine whether or not um, someone is or isn't operating within good behavior. Mm-hmm. But if if somebody is brought forward as being as misbehaving, mm-hmm. I guess, <laughs> then they have to. There's a whole um, trial. Yes. So in the in the event of a um, of an impeachment on a president. Mm-hmm. The chief justice of the Supreme Court becomes the president of the Senate and presides right. over the uh, impeachment process mm-hmm. of you know of a, of a president. Um, so that's interesting mm-hmm. in itself. But also the other component of the good behavior that mm-hmm. we found, um, the good behavior component right. of this uh, you know this particular check, is that it the lifetime appointment mm-hmm. clause of, of a Supreme court justices right. is in itself a check because mm-hmm. what it does is it with that, what that allows is the Supreme court justices to be apolitical, right? Because if they're elected justices, there's a chance that they're not going to be uh, impartial exactly. because they're going to be more swayed by political opinions mm-hmm. in, in hope in trying to get reelected. Right. Whereas once they're confirmed, they don't really have any sort of um, political allegiance or feel or feeling that they're owed they owe anything to a particular party or anything like that so they can ideally be more impartial right and well that, said that's the other kind of component to the good behavior mm-hmm. thing um and finally uh compensation cannot be diminished which we saw with the executive branch yes yeah so this is a little bit similar to the good behavior but um the salary provisions for judges would be a key to protecting judicial independence, and the Virginia plan proposed the judges would receive a fixed regular salary that could not be increased or reduced. Okay. No one challenged the provision to protect judges from any reduction in salary, which was seen as an essential protection against political pressure from the legislator. So again, it, it provides that mean to not be influenced or swayed in that position of a judge. Sure. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, especially when you're you're the judgment of what's constitutional or not. Exactly. And if you have a political bias, that could be dangerous and kind of throw off the whole system. Definitely. <laughs> so we've spent the last you know fifty or so minutes. Yeah, that's a lot of information. <laughs> just throwing a lot of information at everybody, right. and I, we just kind of want to wrap up by saying, you know, we we've put these three branches of governments into kind of nice, neat little. Uh, you know, compartments right. with their very distinct checks and balances on each other. But in actuality, mm-hmm. government governmental powers and responsibilities intentionally overlap. Yes. That was that was, you know, put by the framers into the uh, into the constitution. And it in order to look at checks and balance, you have to categorize things and then bring in the muddled mess. Because right. if we tried to start with there's so many interlapping powers, everything would have gotten so convoluted. So it's a necessary when in having this discussion, it's necessary to have that, you know, talk, talk about the theory first, put everything into nice, neat compartments, right. and then start to add layers on top of it. Well, and if you Google, you know, checks and balances, you'll see this, it's very common image of each branch mm-hmm. in their compartments, but with arrows and this flow of how they do overlap. Exactly. And, as a result of those, you know, entangled responsibilities, mm-hmm. there's inherent measure of competition and conflict among the branches of government. Right. Um, throughout American history, there's also been an ebb and flow of preeminence. So, you know, kind of hierarchy mm-hmm. amongst the three branches of yes. government. Um, you know, such experiences suggest that there, that power resides within these branches of government mm-hmm. is an evolutionary process. Right. And I think you see right now, um, you know, the executive branch is, you know, probably has a little bit more power right, right now in our right. society than some of the, than the judiciary or the legislature. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, looking historically at the United States, there's been there's been times when the, the legislature has been right. more, more powerful. And and I think no, having an understanding of that ebb and flow mm-hmm. is is part of a historical context and historic and is like an historical process. Right, is is important to have that perspective. Definitely. And I think it's important to know that if there's ever a time again 
if regardless of who's kind of taking the control or the reins, whether it be executive, legislative, or judiciary, there are these checks and balances to prevent overreach. Yes. So even right now, if we see kind of one branch kind of taking control and, and, and running the show, there is a check to make sure that there is no overreach. Yeah, and, and, and if it appears that one branch is not holding up their end of the bargain, right. it's what voting is for, yes. right? Absolutely. So um, if you feel that the executive is, in your understanding of check of the checks and balances mm-hmm. system, is not being appropriately checked, mm-hmm. you, we can control that with a exactly. vote. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah, in just to add one last thing is yeah. the, the framers wanted a difficult process. We, we we do here, you know, there we we elect these politicians and then nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. And yes, and that can be very frustrating. Right. And there is, you know, bits of you know incompetence <laughs> amongst oh, yeah. politicians that and hit that create you know a very long and lengthy process. Mm-hmm. And in the in gridlock can be so frustrating. Yes. But that competition that we spoke of, we just spoke about mm-hmm. being does you know purposefully designed in our system right is very important because um what it does by having so many different you know parts and pieces to this puzzle and this Mm -hmm. process what it does is it ensures that you know we're not beholden to the whims of passion right when 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 the public really wants something to be done Mm -hmm. about you know whatever topic Mm -hmm. this process is meant to slow take a collective breath and slow down yes. that way when there is a fundamental change to the constitution or there is a a new law passed right there's time for reasoned debate right and that's what are that's that's within line with the values in the in the um in the norms of that was you know part of the whole constitutional convention right this was a long drawn out process to frame our government in all decision making processes i personally would like to go through that same kind of process right it goes through many eyes and many hands to to pick apart and make sure that this is going to work yeah but on the other hand you do have examples historically where there are certain marginalized groups who are looking for a faster process to to get equal rights to get equality Mm -hmm. and this slower process is kind of postponed constitutional promises to these marginalized groups. Yeah, they didn't have them previously. Right. And, you know, yeah, we, we, we you see that, you know, throughout our history at, yes. different, at different points. So that is an unfortunate part of the system. But again, like you said, you know, it's, it's kind of, a, we kind of have to trust in this system mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And there have been decisions that have been made historically that have been overturned. Yeah. Once there was that process yeah and 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 this might just be the 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 american in me but yeah i would say that this country um more or less has always tried to say to itself we can do better right and i think yes there has been a slow march of progress Mm -hmm. and there has been some delayed satisfaction um and and delayed constitutional promises Mm -hmm. being kept to certain groups but i would say markedly over the long stretch of this country's history, mm-hmm. we've tried to be better. Right. All right, Jake. Well, episode three. This has been fun. It's been a blast. If you're interested in hearing more of our discussions or learning more about Jake and I, we also have a weekly podcast called Say What You Mean. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Um, you can also find us on our Say What You Mean podcast social media accounts. And again, thanks for listening. And be sure to tune into our show here on KXRW every month. Thank you very much. I've been Jake. And I've been Jeff. And you've been listening to To The Republic. Many thanks to our friends at Say Chow Catering, Columbia River Tap Room and Eatery. Chef Peter has been cooking for over 20 years in the Vancouver area. Private events including wine tasting, wine dinners, appetizer parties, and cooking demos. Say Chow Tap Room and Eatery boasts space for private events or drop in for a quick refreshment and live music on Thursday and Friday evenings. Just a stone's throw away from the Columbia River, Say Chow, Greater Vancouver's premier catering company. Conveniently located at 2501 Southeast Columbia Way, Suite 270 in Vancouver. More information available at www.saychow.com. That's www.say-chow.com or directly at 360 210 5522.
Thank you to CBD American Shaman for supporting our radio community. CBD American Shaman are dedicated to bringing wellness through ultra-concentrated, terpene-rich CBD. The oil is derived from all-natural, 100% organic, gluten-free, non-GMO, 0% THC industrial hemp. CBD American Shaman is located in Vancouver at 2700 Northeast Andreessen Road, Suite A5. For more information, call 866-GOT-PAIN. That's 866-GOT-PAIN. 